Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. We're going to talk tonight about transformations in this series on forgiveness. And um, the first thing I think of when I think of transformation is the whole Transformation Tuesday thing. Um, And you are on one side of Transformation Tuesday, and I am on the other side of Transformation Tuesday. And I'm going to explain um, why that is. Um, You can, next week on Tuesday, you can post a picture of yourself three years ago versus a picture of yourself now, and hashtag at Transformation Tuesday, and you can be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I looked like that in middle school, I looked like that in elementary school, and now I look like the ultimate specimen of a human being. You know, and, and that will continue, you will continue to, you know, you know you get, you guys, you'll get taller and bigger and muscular, you, you, you'll, you'll continue to look more like the ultimate specimen of a human being through college, and then something's going to start happening couple years after college, your Transformation Tuesdays are going to be more like Degregation, tu- you know, degregation Tuesdays or, you know, De-Transformation Tuesdays. And, you know, yeah, I can still put up, this, I can actually lift more than I, you know, bench pressed in, high, in, in college, but I don't carry it as well as I carried it in college, you know, and you, you, you're on the backside of Transformation Tuesday. And, and one, of, one of these days, you guys are going to, some of you guys in here are going to have dad bods and be on the backside of Transformation. <laughs> David's like, yeah, uh, you'll be on the backside of Transformation Tuesday like me. Um, so, so when we think of transformation, some transformations are good. You know, you put a, you, you, you go to the gym, you put in a lot of work, and you come out looking like Hulk Hogan, or you come out looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, good transformation. Um, some transformations just kind of happen, and you realize, oh, I've been eating out of a McDonald's drive through window for the past, like, six months, and I wonder my, why my skin is now translucent. You know, probably because of the fact that very little of what you ate was actual food from McDonald's, right? And that's a, you know, that's a, you, know, you look you, yourself as a bad transformation. Sometimes others transform us. You, know, you, you ever met somebody, they started hanging around with a different group of people and they became a totally different person? Transformation. Um, tonight we're going to talk about transformations, but the transformation we're going to talk about is a transformation of the way that we live and the way that we think. And it's a transformation in the way that we handle what what, the way we react when people do things to us that are unkind, or when people do things to us that hurt them. So we're talking about forgiveness. Um, last week, remember, I had my bricks. You remember, my, those of you who were here last week, I had my bricks last week, and I talked about how you know, it's, it's like every time you know, somebody does something that harms you or hurts you or, or makes you feel bad, and, and, you, um, and instead of you know, releasing that and, and forgiving the person and moving on, you take that brick and it's like you put it in your backpack and then you pick up another brick and put it in your backpack. Remember I had a backpack that was about to bust because it was so full of bricks and I threw the backpack on the ground and it made like a big thud and, um, and we talked about how the longer that you carry a grudge, the heavier it starts to feel and the more it starts to weigh on you But w- because that you've been forgiven and I've been forgiven. Um, because I've been forgiven, I'm free to forgive, and we talked about finding freedom. Uh, last, night, last week, the, the title of the lesson, I guess, was called Letting Go. Tonight is going to be Moving Forward, because uh, yeah, so, some of you were kind of, you know, I mean, you were kind of honest, and you're like, Matt, this is a lot harder than you make it sound, and Matt, I know I need to forgive, but frankly, I just don't want to do it. Um, you know, sometimes, as, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, I've been, you guys, youth pastor for like seven years now, and I kind of know when I touch, I can kind of tell when I've touched a nerve, and um, I got the impression last week that I kind of touched a nerve with some of you, um, that you, you were kind of uncomfortable, because this is maybe one of the most uncomfortable things to talk about, forgiveness, and how we've been hurt, because, I mean, that's stuff we live with for a long time, we keep with a long time. Um, 
So I, I understand that this is not an un, a comfortable thing to talk about. This is something that I try to talk about. If you go through the youth group, this is something that I'm hoping by the time you go through the youth group, you'll have heard about this twice. Because if you're like me and you've got a thick skull, it takes two times, at least two times, somebody telling you about something for you to like, okay, yeah, I need to do it. Um, so so uh, yeah, can, I just, can I just tell you, April will agree. Uh, can I, so can I just tell you, I understand that this is a difficult thing. Uh, but, but this is not something that I'm asking you to do that I haven't done myself, and this is not something God's asking you to do that he hasn't gone through himself either. Um, so as we're talking about forgiveness, we, we, we asked, you know, what bricks are you carrying? What grudges are you carrying? Um, if maybe like two leaders would mind um, picking up, I've got two buckets back there. Um, they're moderately heavy, um, <laughs> um, but in those buckets... Um, are rocks. And just like ushers pass out or deacons pass out communion wafers, I would ask you if you can give everybody a rock. Not the rock. Not Dwayne Johnson. Not the rock, but a rock. Yeah, well, no, don't sing the Moana song, please. Don't sing the Moana song. <laughs> but hey, as, as, um, as, they're pass- as John and Laura are passing out rocks, we, if you have your Bible, will you go ahead and open your Bible up to Romans chapter 12? This would be a great time for you to kind of find your place, um, kind of get where you need to get, um, and, uh, yeah, and just, just, just take one down, pass it around, 99 rocks on the wall. Um, so so just, just take one. I think they're all about the same size, same color, um, so it shouldn't take real long to pick one out. Um, I'm going to give you kind of a, a second to do that. I think just about everybody has a rock. What I want you to do is just kind of hold that in your hand. Um, um, please don't... Yes? Yeah, afterwards, we're going to stone Wyatt. No. <laughs> that's Avery's idea. I don't know if that's a good idea. Maybe we won't do that. Um, <laughs> so, everybody have a rock? If you have a rock, just kind of hold it up so I can see that you have one. Okay? Very good. Now, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I, I, w- before, before we get into this, I want to I just pray... Um, and I want us to quiet our hearts because my, my prayer is that these rocks don't become a distraction, but rather they become an object uh, for us to truly understand the power of forgiveness through Jesus. So let's, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Um, God, I pray that, um, that you will expose areas in our life that we've covered over and hidden and kept from everybody. Um, God, you see it. I pray that you'll give us the vision to see it. Um, I pray that you'll remove all distractions this evening to where we can totally focus on you and what you have to say for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we're talking about, you have a stone. I want you to hold that stone in your hand and just kind of grip it real hard for a second and think about that stone. Um, I've got a brick. Um, I want in your life that stone to represent, that stone to represent something that you've been holding on to. Uh, Let it represent something that was done to you that was wrong. Let it represent a hurt in your life. Let it represent someone who said they'd be there for you and then they abandon you. Let it represent how you felt when you were rejected by someone or you were betrayed by a best friend. You may need to put a name on that rock. You may need to put an event on that rock. But what I would like you to do and what I'm asking you to do is not talk to the person next to you, but let the, that rock represent something in your life. And as we're thinking about um, forgiveness, I just need to give my commercial. There are some things that forgiveness is not. 
Forgiveness is not forgetness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We talked about this last week. Some of the things that you know, you've experienced, you're not going to be able to forget. You're not going to be able to purge it from your mind. So it's not forgetting. It's not putting yourself back into a situation that is unhealthy or unsafe for you. Um, if you've been physically harmed or if you've been just emotionally damaged by a relationship, God's will for you is not to put yourself right back in a place where you can be spiritually or physically hurt or degraded again. So that, 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 we, have to, we have to remember, forgiveness is not forgetness. Forgiveness is not putting yourself in a dangerous situation. Forgiveness is releasing yourself from the prison that somebody else has locked you in because of what they did to you. Um, so as we're thinking about forgiveness, what does God say about forgiveness? There's this incredible passage in Romans 12. And in order to really understand its significance, you have to understand that Romans is a pretty awesome book. If you're not a Christian, what I would encourage you to, if you're a Christian too, I would encourage you to read the book of Romans. Um, the book of Romans is going to start out the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. It lays out God's plan of salvation in big detail. If you're a detailed person, you will love to read Romans and find out exactly what it means to be saved, exactly what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how your sins can be forgiven. But in Romans 12, there's a big shift. It turns a big corner, and it says, now since you have been saved, this is how God expects you to live. You know, God has certain expectations for how Christians should live. So we're going to read about those expectations in verse 12. It's actually one big expectation. So if you don't have your Bible, look on the screen, and I'll stay out of the way as we read it. That's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what... God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you could boil the Christian life, your responsibility to God as someone who believes in Jesus, if you're not a Christian, this is like a little bit of like a preview of what it would mean to be a Christian. Um, if you could boil it down to one thing, this is what God is calling you to do. And yet we're going to look at the what, the why, and the how. And the what is that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're to live for God. God doesn't want our money although we can use our money to glorify God. God doesn't want your time, although we can use our time to glorify God. God wants your life. He calls us to be a living sacrifice. Now, um, I've heard it said this way. Here's the problem with a living sacrifice. A lot of times it wants to crawl up off the altar. Um, a lot of times we don't live the way um, that we should live. And maybe you've had experiences with Christians that don't live the way that they should live. But God wants our life. Um, God wants our life. We're called to live a life that's pleasing to God in agreement with his truth. So the what is we're supposed to live for God. Now, that works itself out in all kinds of different ways, doesn't it? It works itself out in all kinds of different ways. And if you, as, as, soon as, it, as, as soon as this passage ends, it talks about different ways in which you should live for God. One is the way that you should live for God in, in church. One is the way that you should live for God in your friendships. Now you keep reading in chapter 12 the way that you should live for God when someone does you wrong. And that's what we're going to talk about. Then it says the way that you should live for God as a citizen of a country, the way that you relate to your government. Um, all these different ways that we should live for God. So we're supposed to live for God, but you know, Why? Why should we live for God? You know, if you're like, you got, I like your generation because you guys are the why generation. Um, you know, you're told that you, know, you need to do this. And you say, well, why? 
You, know, you, know, you need to get your driver's license. Why? You're like the first generation I've ever met that doesn't want to get your driver's license. It's like so interesting, and I'm not judging you for it. I'm not saying don't get it. I'm not saying you need to get it, but I'm just like, you know, you're the first one who's like, well, why do I need to get my driver's license? Yeah, so I'm with you guys. I'm with you guys. I, I, I like to know why I'm doing something. Here's the why behind living for God. Why should we live for God? Because you've been forgiven. Look at this passage. It says, in view of God's mercy... This therefore right here is a big therefore. That therefore is the conclusion of 11 chapters of telling you how God saved you. And it says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, since God saved you, you should live for God. So the reason that we live for God, the reason that we live for God in the area of forgiveness is because we've been forgiven by God. Um, so what? Live for God. Why? Because you've been forgiven. How? Here's the how right here. It says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some people, they read the Bible, and they think it's a list of rules. They think it's a list of do's and don'ts. And yes, through the Bible, we can find out what pleases God, but God is not about behavior modification. God is not about behavior modification. He's about life transformation. Some people think that if they follow all the rules, they can get to God. But here's the, here's the thing. You, you have to get to God. And you have to be saved before you can live a life that's pleasing to God. People have it backwards sometimes. They think, I, if, if I do this, if I go to church, if I put money in the offering plate, if I go on a mission trip, if I, you know, if, if I stop sleeping around, God will accept me. No. We find forgiveness in God. We find salvation, and we find acceptance in God, and then he gives us the power to live a life that's pleasing to him. We are to be transformed. It says that we're supposed to reject the pattern of this world. This world has a pattern. Our culture has a pattern. So it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever like, tried to swim in a river. I've taken a pool raft across the Ohio River one time. I wouldn't recommend it. Not very safe. Um, but as I was doing that, I was surprised how quickly I was swept down river. And we, by the time, we, we, I shouldn't get into this. We, we went out at Guyandot, and we ended up in Chesapeake by the time we got to the other side. That's how, long, that's how quick the river pulled you. And here's what it's saying is the pattern of this world will pull you. If you don't decide that I'm going to see what God has to say about forgiveness, the pattern of this world is going to pull you and have you do what it says about forgiveness. So here's the template. Here's the way that we're supposed to live for God in every situation in the way that we, um, in the way that we date. We'll be talking about that next week. It'll be interesting. We're doing dumper date. Um, so bring your boyfriend, bring your girlfriend, and see if you're still with them by the end of the lesson. Um, but the way that we date, um, the way that we relate to parents, the way that we, we relate to friends, the way that we relate to our enemies, it's all through this template that we live for God because we've been forgiven by God and we're going to transform the way we live to live differently than the way everybody else lives because we've been saved by God and God's called us to live a life that's pleasing to him and he's transforming us. So one of the areas that we need to be transformed is in the area, in which, in, in, in the area of forgiveness and the way that we forgive others. So how do we do that? Well, you have the template here at the beginning of Romans chapter 12. So let's keep reading in Romans 12, and I'll show you what Romans 12 has to say about forgiveness. And we're going to apply this template to what God has to say about forgiveness. Verse 17 of chapter 12, if you have your Bibles. Um, it says, don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave good room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Some of you like that part of it. 
Um, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So how do we move forward in forgiveness? How do we let go of that thing that we're holding so hard, that rock that we're holding on to that's so hard? The first thing that the Bible tells us to do if we're going to apply this template, it says do not repay anyone evil for evil. Here's, you know what the pattern of this world is that we're supposed to not conform to? It's keeping score. It's keeping score. And I've put, you know, I would not recommend any of these, by the way. This is not a recommendation list. This is an example of how off the pattern of the world is. Um, in, 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 in literature, in the shows that, that, are, that are marketed, especially to teenagers, we see examples of people who are keeping score of the wrongs that were done to them and taking revenge, trying to seek revenge on the people who harmed them. We see, we, see, we see shows where girls are keeping black books of people that have wronged them and writing down names. We see tapes being recorded accusing people of what they did. And the world keeps count. The world keeps score. But God calls us to something different. God says don't keep score. God says lose count. Um, why does he say that? Why is, that the, why is that being transformed? Why is that the life God calls us to live? Because I'll tell you what, it's really easy to start keeping score. It's really just easy to start saying, okay, he did that to me. He owes me. She did that to me. She deserves what's coming to her. Dad left me. He deserves everything bad that's happening to him. And I'm never going to forgive him. Why does the Bible say to stop keeping score and to start losing count? I think it's because first, God wants what's healthy for us, and um, there's a common thread in pretty much every one of these shows that bears truth, I think, in reality, that keeping score does not turn out well for you. Keeping score is not healthy for you emotionally, physically, and most important, spiritually. We need to stop keeping score. Um, you know, keeping score goes against the nature of God. Um, Romans chapter 4, verse 8 says, Blessed is the one who God does not count their sins against him. So if we want to bear the nature of the one that we were created and the one who saved us, uh, we should live as God and not count the sins of others against him. I know that's hard and I know that's difficult. Uh, but you know, keeping score is tiresome too. It uses everything you've got. So stop keeping score and start losing count. Um, the next thing that we see we're supposed to do is to do the right thing. Um, if you keep reading in verse 17, it says, be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Now, I, I, first off, when it says be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone, don't be a poser. Like, don't do that, okay? That's not what this verse is saying. It's not saying like, you know, be one way around this group of people and, and, and be real good in front of your teachers and like, like, like butter your parents up. I mean, they'd probably appreciate it if you were nice to them. But, but it's, it's not saying be all kinds of different people to different people. Here's what it's saying. It's saying no matter what somebody does against you, that doesn't give you a hall pass to sin against them. We've got this idea that if we've been hurt, we're justified in hurting others. Um, if you were to um, look at the criminal defense of a lot of the, um, a, a lot of the people who have gone into and, and done just unspeakable things in schools and in public buildings, 
taken lives, hurt people. Their defense is, well, their upbringing was terrible. They had issues at home. It's been said before, two wrongs don't make a right, and this is one of those cases where it's very true. My hurt doesn't give me a hall pass to hurt others. Um, Unforgiveness means surrendering your life as a victim of people who hurt you. Um, I can't do the right thing. I can't do the right thing because I've been so scarred by what's been done to me. Well, that's true. You can't do the right thing, but when you meet Jesus and he transforms your life, he doesn't modify your behavior, but he transforms your life and gives you a new life, you can do the right thing. And I'm going to give you an example of how that bears truth and reality here really soon. Um, The next thing that we see is win friendships, not arguments. I put this little caption, this little... um, cartoon up here because I think this is so indicative of where we are in our culture. Um, I'm assuming it's a husband or wife saying, hey, are you coming to bed? And the person says, I can't, this is important. What? Somebody is wrong on the internet. Somebody posted something I don't agree with. Yeah, I follow follow a guy on Instagram. He was a former front man for a band that I like to listen to. Um, His name is Maddie Montgomery. And um, any for today fans out there? Wyatt, me and Wyatt, okay. And he went on Africa, and he went on like a, a, a safari hunt, and uh, he posted a picture of uh, the antelope that he killed, um, and he got flamed on Instagram, like flamed. Yeah, they didn't know that he donated all the meat to like hungry people in Uganda, like, <laughs> but, um, but, but he got flamed, and we're a, we're, we're a, a, a group of people, a culture, that if we think somebody is wrong, it don't matter if they're our best friend, we want to win the argument. Did you know it's possible to be right and still be wrong? You can be right in the fact that somebody did something to you and you did nothing to deserve it, but the way that you handle it can still be wrong. Right here it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, thankfully, there are, some, um, there, there are a couple notes in here that help us out a little bit. First, it says, if it's possible. There are some people that you can't live peaceably with. You ever met one of those people? That you, you cannot, like, 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 there is no, you know, peace is a cuss word to them. <laughs> you know, you know like, like, you cannot live peaceably with them. But here's what it says. It doesn't say, if it's possible, if you and this person don't get along, it says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you. You know, there may be some people that you're never going to be able to find peace with, but don't let them say, and don't let yourself in your conscience say that you couldn't find peace because of a grudge that you held against them or something you were holding over your head. On my side, I want to clear it up. You know, there are some people maybe that I have issues with that they're never going to want to be at peace with me, but I'm going to allow myself to be at peace with them so that I can know, just as the Apostle Paul said in in Acts, that I have a clear conscience towards God and man. There's something incredible about having that clear conscience that lets you sleep at night, that gives you peace in knowing that you've done everything you can to settle everything. I I hate to think about how many friendships were lost over arguments that maybe really, in the grand scheme of things, didn't even matter. I think of friends I lost or, 
You have people that I don't talk to anymore from high school, middle school. I think, man, that was really stupid to get mad about in the grand scheme of things. Win relationships, not arguments. Here's the next one. This is, this is a tough one. This may be the toughest one. Quit crowding God. Quit crowding God. Look at the person next to you and just tell This is important. Tell them, quit crowding God. Okay? Um, and you, you, you look to the... Yeah. You looked at the person next to you and you said quit crowding God, but it's probably you that needs to quit crowding God um, because there are times in my life that I need to quit crowding God. Read this verse. It says in verse 19 of chapter 12, it says, do not take revenge. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Leave room for God's wrath. Somebody done you wrong and they come out looking like a rose and you come out looking like a skunk. That ever happened to you? Somebody does you dirty, but everybody thinks they're great. Everybody thinks you're a big jerk. And it seems like everything they do is great. And they're having this great life even after they hurt and you're thinking, where's God? Yeah, I, got, yeah, I got burned. I got hurt. And the person that hurts me is succeeding, and I'm sitting here dealing with the hurt. Where's God? Well, maybe you haven't left room for God's wrath, and you're crowding God out of your situation. And maybe God would take wrath on that person. Maybe God would avenge like he says he will avenge. Sometimes that, we'll, you know, we know that's going to happen in eternity. Sometimes that's going to happen in the here and now. But here's what I've learned. When I crowd God out of a situation, I shouldn't expect to see God's justice. Um, It says, leave room for God's wrath and listen to what God says. These are the words of God. He says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. It is mine to avenge. I've got this picture here, this offering plate. Um, What would happen if I went over to the big church and as the offering plate was being passed, you know, there was a good amount of cash money in that offering plate, and as it went by me, I just kind of reached in, took a big old wad of cash out there and put it in my pocket. What do you think would happen to me? You think I got struck down dead? You think the light bars would fall down on me? Yeah, that'd be like the lowest of the low, wouldn't it, to steal from a church offering? Why? Why? Why would that be such a bad thing? Because you're stealing from Who? Have you ever thought about the fact that when God said it is mine to avenge, that if you try to take revenge, you're stealing from God. It's just like you put your hand in the offering plate and put that money in your pocket. You're taking something that doesn't belong to you and it belongs to God. That's, that's hard. That, 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 that's going to hurt in the morning. That's tough, I know. I think about the times that I stole revenge from God. I think, oh my goodness. He says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. But then he says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Man, that doesn't sound very fun, to bake my enemy a cake. That does not sound fun, except some of you. Now, I'm not talking about the pie on the, um, that one, the help. I'm not talking about that. Don't bake him one of those pies. That's not what God means. Um, but here's what, I'm, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. When we start doing what's right towards those who have hurt us, it brings about conviction in their life. 
Um, here, I, let me tell you, so I know this is a hard lesson, but can I tell you, your leaders, your youth leaders are examples. You know, they don't just walk, talk the talk, they walk the walk. And I've talked to several of your youth leaders you know, in the past week who have said, you know, I, you know, told me instances in which they have been forgiven people who have been of great harm to them. And, and, and one of your youth leaders told me about a situation where they did exactly this. They fed their enemies. And you know what's interesting? Through that, there was reconciliation and forgiveness. It says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Note that it does not say that you need to heap burning coals on his head. Um, but there was, this, um, there was this tradition in Egypt, and most scholars believe this, that's what this was referring to. There's this tradition in Egypt where if somebody wanted to repent for something they did against someone, they would take a pot, they would fill it with burning charcoals, and they would carry it on their heads to the person's house and ask for forgiveness. And that the scorch mark on their head would be representation of their remorse for hurting them. Yeah. So here's what it's saying is it's saying you do the right thing even when somebody's doing you wrong, and you will probably bring about their repentance. And you'll be able to reconcile your relationship. I mean, like we said, that's, it says, if at all possible, as much as it depends on you, sometimes it's not going to happen. But when we start crowding God out of these situations, don't expect him to work in that relationship. Warren Wiersbe said it like this. This is pretty strong. He said, if you defend yourself, the Lord can't defend you. If you defend yourself, the Lord can't defend you. Here's the final way of moving forward, and we'll get out of here. And this is the big one. It says, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. I know you've been hurt, and I know bad things have happened to you, and I know you've been harmed. But what the Bible says is there's hope that evil can be overcome by good. So I thought, well, what is good? You know, what's good? I mean, yeah, I can say Rocky was good. It's the greatest movie ever. But you may hate Sylvester Stallone. I mean, if you do, you need to get out of my youth group right now. But, you know, you know good can be, I'm joking, good can be a subjective thing, can it? But here, so I, how does God use the word good, that word agatho in Greek and other situations? Well, in Matthew 7, 11, it says that Jesus, or the Father, gives us good gifts. Matthew 19, 17, it says there's only one who is good. Um, that's Jesus. Romans 7, 18, Paul says, I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. That's me. I want to do what's right, but I have a hard time doing it. Romans 8, 28 says God works for the good of all those who love him. Romans 10, 15 says how beautiful are those who bring the good news, the gospel, Romans 12, 2 that we read, it says that God's will is good and pleasing. And then in Romans 12, 9, it says to cling to what is good. Here's what I know the story of the Bible is it's about good news. It's about good news. And here's the good news. The good news is this. God is no longer counting your sins against you. Jesus died on the cross so we can find healing for whatever hurt has been put in our lives. Um, I know this to be true because God healed my family. Um, my grandfather, um, he passed away a couple years ago, but his, um, his father was an absentee father. His father was a drunk. His father was an alcoholic. Um, finally, I think he was eight years old. The dad left and never came back. So it was my granddad, his younger sister, and his mom. And then the Great Depression hit. My granddad had to quit school at 12 years old to take care of his family. Never saw his dad again. Grew up without a dad. He uh, married my grandma, and he resented his dad and held a grudge against his dad. And one day, a 
someone knocked on his door, a preacher knocked on his door and told him about Jesus. And he put his faith in Jesus. Fast forward like 50, more than 50 years. It was a couple years before he passed away. I was visiting him. He lives in Pennsylvania. My dad and I were visiting him. And um, we went to church with him. He goes to this little bitty church. He went to this little bitty church. And we were there on Father's Day, which was pretty cool because I was there with my dad and he was there with his dad. And um, you've seen this happen in our church every once in a while. A really old person sometimes will just stand up and interrupt the service. And when an old person does that, it's okay, you know. And we just let them say what they want to say. And my, grand, my granddad did that. He stood up and goes, I want to say something. He was kind of one of those, like, real assertive people anyway. So nobody tells Milt McClay, no. So they just let him say what he wanted to say. He said, I just want to, he said, I want to praise God because I grew up and didn't have a heavenly, or didn't have a father. But then someone told me about Jesus, and I have a heavenly father. And on this Father's Day, I have an earthly father that I don't know, but I have a heavenly father that I've known for over 60 years. And Mr. Milt, the, the welder, the man of steel, I saw a tear go down his cheek. And uh, that's a moment that I will never forget. God healed my granddad of the hurt of the abandonment of one of his parents. And because God healed my granddad, he told my dad about Jesus. Because he told my dad about Jesus, he told me about Jesus. Because my dad told me about Jesus, I'm standing here telling you about Jesus. All because my granddad, he let go of his grudge and he grabbed on to Jesus. Uh, I have this picture of this monkey because um, in, in certain areas where they try to trap monkeys, they have these monkey traps. And, and um, as you can see, they've got a little hole in, in, in a container and they put a banana in the container. I, I didn't put a container around this so you can see my hand. But what the monkey does is he reaches through that container and grabs the banana. And because he's holding the banana, his hand can't make it out of the container. And they have the container chained to a tree or a rock or something. And that monkey will be stuck. And even though he's stuck and even though he's trapped, he won't let go of the banana. That's pretty stupid, isn't it? And you know what? That monkey won't let go of the banana. And people will walk up to the monkey and grab the monkey and put the monkey in a cage because he won't let go of the banana. How many of us are missing out on the life that Jesus has for us because we won't let go of our grudge and hold on to Jesus. Forgiveness is not an option if you want to live a life that's pleasing to God. Forgiveness is not an option if you want the joy of Christ in your life. Forgiveness is how we please God and it's how we live like Jesus lived. Um, so we're going to pray and we're going to get out of here. This is one of the few times we've gone kind of long. Um, but will you just kind of like bow your head and close your eyes? And I want you to hold on to that rock. Um, we're going to leave the buckets of those rocks by the doors. Um, and um, I want you to hold on to that rock. And t- tonight I'm going to pray for you and, and we're going to get out of here. Um, uh, but, but it's going to be a little bit of a different kind of exit tonight. Um, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to hold on to that rock as hard as you can, and maybe you've named that rock or you've given that rock an event in your life. And What I'm going to ask you to do is, if you want to take that rock home with you and keep holding on to that grudge, keep holding on to that unforgiveness, keep holding on to that hurt,
Um, when you leave, just put it in your pocket. Um, but if you're making a commitment tonight to live a lifestyle of forgiveness and to let go of that grudge and to reach to Jesus, what I'd ask you to do is as you're leaving, just throw that rock in that bucket. Leave it at church and go home free. Um, so just maybe you just need to take a second and just pray and ask God for the power to forgive. Ask God for the power to live for him. Um, I've asked Jeff if he will uh, close us in prayer uh, so that I can be back at the door to shake your hand like I always do. Um, but as you're leaving, um, if you want to hang out with your friends or if you want to um, kind of socialize, I'd ask you that you do it in the lobby. I'd ask that you do it downstairs or on the parking lot. It's a nice, warm evening. Um, but I'd like for us to leave here just kind of quiet, um, thinking about if there's anything between us and someone else or if there's anything between us and God. So, Jeff, if you will dismiss us in prayer, um, I'll see you guys at the door. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.